Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. Thanks to Raya Eyewear for sponsoring this episode of Holding Court. I've been wearing Raya since last year. During the pandemic, I started teaching more lessons than ever before, especially outside. Raya are by far the best sunglasses for tennis I've ever used. Check them out at RayaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. And use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. They are total game changers. All right, everyone, time for a little Labor Cup uh, redux, I guess you call it, thoughts on Labor Cup uh, just here at our tennis academy back in New York with all the kids, and, you know, I'm going to give them the message that I gave. I'm going to give you the message that I gave to all of them just out on the court, and these are kids from a sort of young age, good level, recreational level, then our, our top kids who are – you know, serious tournament player is going to play high-level Division One, maybe a couple with a chance to play the pros, but for the most part, really, you know, very good junior players. And I said, listen, I said, you go out there at whatever level you're at, even at the level of uh, the very best of, I say, I'm the coach, understand that. And sometimes you get your ass kicked, and that's just what happens. And you got to bear it. You got to deal with it. You got to keep your head up high. So I try to find the message in uh, all the experiences that I have, uh, whether it's commentating over the last 25 years, obviously coaching the Davis Cup for 10 years, now being part of the Labor Cup, my years playing, which are way back then, which I don't think most of the kids really care about. But, you know, once in a while, I'll tell them a story or two about that. But for the most part, uh, I try to bring something back that they can hopefully relate to because all these kids are going to go out there and compete at uh, whatever level. Some of them are going to play on their high school team. Some are going to play uh, Eastern tennis here in the, in the New York area where I live. Some of them are going to go on and play a high-level junior tennis and ITFs. And we even had a few kids that played in the uh, U.S. Open juniors. So, uh, you know, basically whatever level you're at, you're going to get your ass kicked sometimes. And that's that's the beauty of sport. That's the agony of sport. You know, they used to call it the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. And uh, tennis is like any other sport, but different in some ways because it's so individual, right? You're, you're out there on your own. And I think that's, that's one, of the, one of the tricky situations uh, we deal with in tennis because, uh, you know, it's hard for kids to get their ass kicked. And, uh, and you know, when you're on a team, it's a little bit of a different vibe. Uh, not that it's you blame other players, but you know you don't you, you don't you don't take it as hard. And I played a lot of soccer as a kid. Played some basketball. I actually played soccer all the way through uh, my high school days, and I didn't even play that much tennis during the soccer season. That's kind of changed in the world we currently live in. But anyway, back to the Labor Cup. Uh, as I said, we just got our asses kicked. Uh, Europe. You know, too good. I mean, as we as we know, they've got uh, they had six players all in the top ten. Casper Ruud was their lowest ranked player at ten, and highest ranked player for Team World was uh, Felix Ojeda at eleven, and Shapo Dennis Shapovalov at twelve. And we had uh, we certainly had some chances uh, in quite a few of the matches. Uh, day one, I thought was was very important if we could have gotten a couple wins there. 
all of a sudden, you know, the 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 this, the, the tie the match tie breaks on day two. You know, maybe you get you get a little tension from one other other side of the court. I think there is a little bit of that. I mean, the truth is, we got our asses kicked, so I'm not gonna. Uh, deny that, but uh, I thought Felix Ojeda played a heck of a match against Berrettini. Won the first, had chances to get the break to serve for the match in the second. Berrettini, who by the way was here at the academy yesterday, uh, just a couple of days after the Labor Cup, and I had a, a funny moment with him. I, I said, "You're not allowed back in here because they, all these guys came during the U.S. Open to our facility and practice. Uh, anyway, he's a great guy, great guy. But uh, he was practicing for a couple of days here before he heads out to California. Anyway, I thought he just played the bigger points in those crucial moments late in that second set and obviously in the tie break as well where Felix had had a lead a couple of times, never a huge lead, but it seemed like he was kind of up throughout most of the breaker. F- missed a couple of balls that he normally wouldn't miss, I think, but I think the tension of the moment... You know, the thing that impressed me the most about watching Felix in practice during the, during the whole couple of days was he's, he's very professional, really, you know, wants to get, wants to desperately to get better. He's always working on things. Footwork is great. Love the way he kind of moves in and out of the court um, to try to take the ball on a little bit earlier. You know, I think he's still trying to figure that out. So I, and, and I think he almost sometimes, uh, I wouldn't say he gets tight, but he, he doesn't, kind of let it fly, let it flow a little bit. He's such an amazing athlete, by the way, too. And I actually felt like he moved better in the match, had a little more weight on his shot than Berrettini. Berrettini obviously had slightly bigger serve, a little bit more reliable. Um, And as I recall, late in that tie break, he kind of played Berrettini more within himself. You know, Felix made a forehand error. I think off the first or second shot at eight all, and then uh, actually played a decent approach to Berrettini's backhand, and Berrettini had been, been um, struggling with that shot and maybe didn't quite go after the approach enough, and, and Berrettini was able to pass him and, and win that. Diego Schwartzman played a great match, too, against Rublev, um, had lots of chances to uh, to win that in the tie break. I think he was up at 1.62. I think Rublev going into that was certainly a solid favorite, So, uh, but Diego is just an incredible worker and great teammate and, um, you know, obviously limited with his size in the indoor court. You know, it helps to have that big serve to get you out of some trouble on some big points. So he didn't have that. Uh, the other match on day one, uh, I'm trying to remember who the th- our third player was. Was it always uh, oh, Opelka who got kind of re- yeah, routine is too strong a word. But, a lot, you know, the Labor Cup, I think, moment for him the first time. And also the condition was pretty slow. Rude. Very impressive. I mean, he's. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's had a great year to be ten in the world. I I, I haven't seen him play that much in person. Uh, I know he had a great run on clay. You know, where he won three straight clay court tournaments and some other good results. But he, you know, on a slow hard court, he was rough. Very athletic. Um, and Riley, you know, I think Riley tried to play a little too straight ahead. I think Riley needs to develop a little more. You know, change the pace of the ball, play the slice, play it shorty. You know, on a quick court, obviously Riley would be brutal because of his, his serve, and he hits the ball relatively flat. Um, but the ball wasn't really going through the court, this, this particular court, because the conditions were a bit slower. Um, so that made it more difficult for Riley once they got into the rallies. But overall, um, 
decent performance, but, you know, we, we squeaked out the doubles on day one. Of course, turned out to be the only match we won um, on that evening. Just taking a couple of sips here. Um, but Isner was on fire in that doubles to win that second set, and then they went on a roll to win the, win the tie break, and, you know, he really took that over. Shapovalov was a little edgy in the first set, but then he kind of found his range. Sometimes I think Dennis just goes for a shot that he doesn't need to go for. It goes, you know, almost too big on return sometimes and on volleys. Uh, but another, he's a great kid and also a guy that, you know, really wants it and, and seems to be doing all the, all the little things to try to get better. Uh, <clears throat> so we got out of there, you know, down 3-1, which is a familiar position we've been in many times. Uh, even nine three going into the third day, we've been a couple times and then won a couple matches, so we still had hope. But now the bottom line is day two, we just got uh, manhandled. You know, obviously they put their big three out there and sits a pass over Kyrios. That was fairly straightforward. Nick, you know, just hasn't you know because of various injuries and I think desire a little bit, not not moving as well as he has in the in the, in the past. Uh, you know, he's got so much natural ability, but if you don't keep training it and working on it, I think you lose it. And I think he's lost a little bit of his speed out wide. He can still hit the ball big and, you know, almost had a chance to uh, sneak out the second set, but it was fairly routine for Sitsipas on his serve throughout most of the match until late in the second when, when Nick was able to create a couple of chances. But Sitsipas is too solid overall, obviously. Um, Zverev and Isner was a tremendous match, and that was one we could have won. And Isner, you know, he comes to play in in the Labor Cup. He loves it. He's a great team guy. You know, he's not afraid to play his tennis, which is just go big and you know serve big under pressure, which he does well. And that format is well suited to him because you play two sets and a breaker, and so he doesn't have to worry as much about tiring, which you know he normally will against, especially that against that level of player where you're having to work extremely hard you know, point in, point out. And Zverev certainly makes you do that. Uh, so that was one that kind of got away. That was one I thought, well, if we could sneak that one out, you know, maybe John stays hot and we can win the doubles that night when he played with Nick. Uh, certainly they got off to a good start in that one. This was after Medvedev just destroyed Shapovalov. And, you know, it wasn't like Dennis wasn't ready to play. And, and it was just this guy just won the U.S. Open just too good. And and uh, 6-4, 6-0 was just an unbelievable performance by Medvedev, and you're going in thinking, well, the court's kind of slow, and the, some of the guys are saying, well, he's not, you know, he likes the ball a little, little quicker through the court, and oh man, the confidence uh, from winning his first major, you could see it. He was just a different, you know, even his his demeanor on the practice court throughout the week uh, was was amazing, just full of confidence, and uh, he's he's going to be rough to deal with on on any surface. I mean, clay is obviously not a great surface for him. This episode is being brought to you by Raya Eyewear. Over the last few years, a growing concern of mine has been the long-term effects of overexposure to UV rays from my extended time on court in the sun, you know, following that little yellow ball all over the globe. Well, I was also just tired of squinting on sunny days, but my fear was always that wearing sunglasses to protect my eyes would affect the way I hit the ball. Well, last year, especially during the pandemic last summer, I came across Raya, and I'm so, so glad that I did. Raya is changing the way tennis players see the game and protect their most important performance asset, their vision. 
All of their eyewear is handcrafted in Italy and built specifically to enhance ball contrast and provide protection from those harmful UV rays. There's no question that they help me see the ball better, they relax my eyes in the sun, and they've become an essential part of my tennis experience. Check them out at RiaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A Eyewear.com. Use the code Patrick to get $20 off your first pair. I promise you will love these sunglasses. This episode of Holding Court is being brought to you by True. That's T-R-U, the lifestyle beverage. Absolutely amazing. Go to drinktrue.com to learn more. I suggest you try out the True Sampler, 30% off, with the code PATRICK. Uh, the camaraderie on the team was just um, was, was awesome during the, you know, we had a couple team dinners where we all went out, and John sort of put it on the table for the guys to discuss uh, you know, the lineup and how to go about that. So they had a lot of input. In fact, so you kind of let them in some ways sort of say who was going to play on which day and which match. So John thought that was the right way to go. And, you know, I said, oh, you got to be careful with that because sometimes maybe, you know, we should just make the lineup ourselves. We should ask, obviously ask the players their opinions. But I think John wanted to kind of put the ball in their court this time. And, I mean, to be honest, it, you know, I think um, it didn't work. It didn't work out that well. Um, but – whether or not we, whether it's about the lineup or not, basically is not really the case. I mean, they just their players are at the moment better than our players. And by the way, the other and the other question I get from a lot of people, well, a few questions. Let me get, let me jump to was why didn't Sock play? Well, Sock was the alternate coming in. Um, obviously, he, he wasn't, you know, although he did play well at the U.S. Open, but he was coming in with some injury issues. Remember, he got injured in, in the match with Zverev. We actually injured going into that one at the Open. Um, so he wasn't 100%. And he told, uh, he told us that, you know, a week or so before that he didn't think he'd even be able to play a match at all. So uh, we discussed, uh, you know, uh, possibly getting them in there. But the other thing that people weren't aware of is once you set your lineup, uh, and, and the other thing is the Labor Cup makes uh, their their financial deals with the players well beforehand, uh, which are related to whether or not you're on the team um, or as an alternate. So if you just all of a sudden sub sock in at the last minute, there's a couple things. Number one, it affects what the player who gets thrown kicked off the team makes for the weekend. Um, the other factor is that you can't actually just put sock in and have him play doubles uh, on that day you'd have to actually have someone else play doubles because they're trying to protect from that, that very situation of just having a double specialist come in because every player that's on the team, the six players, has to play at least one singles match. So theoretically, I guess, if uh, let's say, for example, I'm just going to throw out a name, you know, Pelka playing on day one and he woke up on Saturday and he was sick. We were supposed to play doubles. Well, we could probably, you could put a substitute in. Not probably, you could put a substitute in Opelka would then be out of the team, and then you let's say you put Sock in, so Sock wouldn't be able to play doubles that day. Um, you'd have to take someone else from the team. So if, let's say it would have been Opelka Isner, for example, and Opelka wakes up Saturday morning, and he says, sick, I can't play, or injured, or whatever it may be, then you would have to play uh, Isner with, um, you know, Kyrgios or Schwartzman or, you know, one of the guys that was already on the team. So not quite as easy... Uh, as people think, to just substitute someone in to play doubles. Now, that being said, I think do I think Sock would have made a difference in doubles? Yes, I do. I actually think he, he would, you know, the very small margins, especially in those doubles matches, which, you know, pretty much all come down to the tie break, 
I believe he would have made a difference. Now, would it have been enough? Probably not. And would Sokka have been able to play sing- a singles match? That wasn't the message we got coming in. Um, so, although the one year Sock did win a singles match, I remember against Fognini a few years back, he actually won, a, which was one of the, maybe the only singles match we won. I think maybe we won one more that year. Uh, he was a doubles guru for us, but that year was a year he it wasn't even ranked. And uh, in singles, because right, he had some injuries. But anyway, it was good to see Sock back. Um, he looked pretty decent in practice. I, I don't think he could quite go full out. So that's why we were even, even if we could have substituted him in, we were a little, little nervous about it. I think by, once the matches got started, I think Jack was like, oh, okay, I think I could play. You know, you know can I get in? And I'm like, well, you know, it's a little late now. So uh, would it have affected the overall outcome? Probably not, but it would have made it, you know, certainly a little more interesting maybe if we could have won another doubles match. Uh, but it wouldn't have helped us in singles. So we lost all the singles matches um, on those first two days. So if we win one more doubles match, okay, instead of a 12 to 1, it's 9 to 3. So, or 10 to 3, whatever the number is. Uh, the other thing people want to know is why is Russia part of Europe and not Asia? So I'm like, well, I guess it could be either. Um, you know, if we had Medvedev and Rublev on the team, for example, that might even things out a little bit. But uh, we kind of joked about that, and, I, and a bunch of pe- people have said things to me like that on social media. Uh, obviously, that's way out of my um, uh, level of uh, importance. What's, what's, what's the phrase I'm looking for? My um, How much money I make. What do you call that? You call that your... Uh, that's way beyond my pay grade. There we go, uh, to make that decision. But, yeah, it certainly would be nice if we had a couple of those guys on our team. Uh, but, you know, the teams, the teams get along pretty well. Um, there's always some uh, heated moments that happen on the bench or on the sideline. That's kind of part of the competition. And, again, as I said to our kids here at the academy, you know, you get in the arena and you go do battle, um, and sometimes you win, and sometimes you get your ass kicked, and so you got to deal with it, and you got to move on, and try to uh, figure out what you can do better. You know, obviously, I'm trying to help the kids when I tell this story. I mean, we got to do better as as captain and coach too, and the players have to do better. So, uh, a lot of people calling for the head, saying it's get rid of John and Patrick. Well, that that'll probably happen at some point. We we'll, we we'll, we hope to do it one more year at least in London for next year. Um, as I said in my Instagram post, which many of you responded to, it's just for me, it's just amazing to be part of the event. It's, it's a great event. It's a great event for tennis, for the players, really love it. Uh, one of the kids in our academy here is joking with me over the summer. He kept saying, you know, it must be fixed, right? It's got to be fixed. It always comes down to, you know, the last or last couple of years came down to the last match or second to last match. It's always super tie breaks. So he was out in the group of our high level boys. And I said, Hey, um, I said, maybe um, it's not fixed, huh? Because we just got our butts kicked. So now you know that the other years, uh, there was nothing fixed about any of it. And there's a big bonus, by the way, for the players on the winning team. They get a big financial bonus. Uh, but look, there's a lot of pride. You're playing in front of you know huge crowds. Boston did an amazing job. The Labor Cup team, led by Tony Gottsick, of course, and Team 8, which is uh, the company that he founded along with Roger Federer. And Steve Zacks is a man who runs it day to day and a huge a, a team of people behind it. Also, I have to give a shout out to Michelle Sheehan, who uh, runs things for our team on a day to day basis. She also uh, I work with her for many years at Davis Cup. She still works for the USTA. So she comes in and 
um, you know, takes care of all the players. And trust me, there's a lot to take care of when you're dealing with these guys, um, getting their suits ready, getting them ready for pictures and appearances. So it's a lot kind of squeezed into a short amount of time leading up to the matches. And again, they do a great job. I'm actually just seeing some text messages come through from a group chat of um, all the team, you know, that we used to set up practice. So Nick Kyrgios has been uh, texting everyone. He's back in uh, Australia already in Brisbane. And um, he's in is doing his two-week quarantine. So the boys are asking him, how's the lockdown room? And he said uh, Uber Eats is pretty solid, but the room, you know, not great. So, <laughs> But there you go. So that's what you have to do when you go back to Australia. But we wish Nick the best because his mom has been, been ill, which we didn't know about until – actually, I didn't know anything about it until I walked into the press conference with him after he lost his singles match. And that's where he kind of dropped the bomb that he wasn't going to play again the rest of the year and even said this is my last Labor Cup. And uh, the only reason he's saying that is because his ranking has dropped. And this year he was sort of a captain's pick because, you know, he brings, he's brought a lot to the event and um, he's also won some, some matches for us played. I mean, played some great matches with Federer, obviously some great doubles didn't happen this year. So I would say, you know, he's probably right. It probably will be his last time on Labor Cup unless he, he turns it around, you know, on the court uh, which is certainly possible, but that's for him to him to decide and him to do the work. But he's a great person and a great team person. Uh, he's looking forward to being back in Australia with his family. And you know, you remember the Australian players are gone for um, have been gone for months and months on end. Ash Barty as well, the Wimbledon champion. So, uh, but all the Australian players are you know been gone for to six seven months when once the Australian Open ended. So they've got to go back to Australia and do a. Qu- quarantine for I think a minimum of two weeks in a hotel room with no windows so that's what Nick is doing as we speak so we wish him the best um what else were the other questions I got about it uh you know it was um it was just again just an eye-opening experience to see how uh you know much work we've got to do you know in the rest of the world but obviously I uh, specifically think about the US you know we see two great Canadian players and you know great athletes um coming from that country uh we could use you know those type of athletes in tennis i think we've got some good good guys coming up you know Tiafo you look at what he's done the last couple of months. He certainly had a great U.S. Open, losing to Felix there. You know, he bring a, bring a lot of energy to the Labor Cup, but he's got to continue to, you know, push himself and move forward. Brooksby had that great run in, in the Open and took a set off Djokovic. He's a guy that certainly attitude-wise would be tailor-made for this event. So, But these guys from Europe, the top guys, they're the, I mean, they're the best in the world. I mean, this is the bottom line. They've got... Uh, you know, essentially bet, you know, great athletes playing tennis. And I think that's the biggest thing that's holding us back is because the games become more physical uh, and athleticism and flexibility and all those things are even more apparent and more important in addition to being just great, having great tennis skill Uh, on the women's side, the ladies side, we've got, I think, you know, just very generally speaking, better athletes playing tennis at a younger age um, so, you know, they're groomed the same way that young uh, American male tennis players are. And we don't have any, you know, some real trouble churning out um, you know, a lot of super talented young female players, uh, as we, you know, we've seen over the last 10, 15 years. So we need, we, we need to do better. Uh, that's the bottom line. The event itself, as I said, uh, was great. Boston is an awesome town. Uh, Love being there. I didn't spend too much time walking around because uh, you know once I get once we get to the matches, you're I'm there from you know nine till 
midnight. Uh, so again, thanks to the Labor Cup and thanks to everyone that came out in Boston that supported it. Uh, it's got a great buzz. People love it. Uh, if we had been able to win a couple of matches early, it would have made, you know, Sunday more exciting, more interesting, no doubt about it. Uh, but this is sports. I mean, this is why you lace them up. This is why you go out there. You never know what's going to happen. You know, it's great when the Super Bowl's a great game, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, you know, 45 to 7 or whatever. It's a blowout. And that can happen in tennis, just like in a major final. You know, sometimes it's 2-2 two and two in the women's final, and Sometimes it's not even actually this year was three and four and it was a hell of a match at three and four. So hope everyone enjoyed it. I will be taking a little downtime now from holding court as I revamp uh, and think about season three. Season two has been been amazing. So thank you to all uh, my listeners and the support. Please send me messages on Twitter or Instagram about um, what you think about the podcast. And certainly go anywhere and make some comments on uh Spotify or wherever you do that, Apple, you know, iTunes, uh, as far as a podcast is concerned. But I like to hear what you people like, what my fans want to hear about more of in the future, because I got a few ideas about, uh, you know, continue doing what I'm doing, but maybe take it in some slightly different directions as well. So that will be holding court season three. I'm thinking will come out uh, either later this year, or early 2022. All the best from PMAC and holding court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.